Amen. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. There is none other name above that name. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Last week on Wednesday we finished uh, going through the book of Philippians. It took us quite a while because on Wednesdays I, uh, we have a lot of our other men here who teach on Wednesdays. Uh, we closed uh, the book talking about God promising to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And the Philippian believers had sacrificially given to Paul and his ministry, and Paul assured them that God would take care of their needs. Uh, our great God and Savior not only has the physical resources to supply his people and his work financially, God also has riches of peace and joy and satisfaction that cannot be found in this world or in physical wealth. We then spent a few moments talking about how God typically supplies the needs of His people. It is rarely that God drops a bag of gold, so to speak, down uh, the chimney. We talked about how God nearly always provides uh, for His children through work, through faithfully handling and managing the money He has given us. And by us faithfully giving and God blessing and multiplying what we give, God bountifully blesses what we give bountifully. Uh, the book of Philippians, though, as many of you know, is not the only prison epistle. You may remember that term from our first week when we began through the book of Philippians. Prison epistle, of course, is a man-made phrase that is given to letters that Paul wrote when he was imprisoned in Rome the first time. Uh, Paul talked about going to Rome. He wanted to go there. In fact, he planned to go to Rome when he was planning to take the gospel to Spain, but God had a different plan for getting Paul to Rome. Uh, God sent Paul to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, he spent two years in jail in Caesarea. He was uh, shipwrecked on the island of Melita, and then he traveled in shackles, walking up through Italy, uh, up to Rome, uh, there to be imprisoned. But God used him there to write uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the little book of Philemon. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And by the way, uh, his are better. Uh, the book of Philippians was very personal. I mean, Paul had personally founded the church there. He stopped in the city of Philippi many times going through uh, the city as he traveled down through Macedonia into Achaia where uh, the city of Corinth was. Uh, he knew people by name, uh, but he had never personally been to the city of Colossae or the church in Colossae. And so uh, Paul and the apostles weren't the only people starting churches in the days when the New Testament was being written, uh, men trained by the apostles and faithful men who were trained by the men the apostles trained, who passed on the same things that Paul had passed on to those faithful men, to the faithful men who took the gospel all over the world at that time. There were only 12 men in the office of apostle. There were literally thousands of cities. Now before we begin... Uh, talking about the content of the book, we probably need to pause and give a little consideration to the city 
of Colossae and a little bit of consideration to the circumstances uh, that prompted the Holy Spirit to move Paul to write this letter. Now remember, everything in the Bible, uh, just like everything today, it has a context. I mean, for instance, a hundred years from now, if Christ tarries, and someone looks back and they read an article uh, that was written in the early weeks of the COVID pandemic, if you didn't understand what was going on in government and in culture at the time when that article was written, you really wouldn't understand what you wrote. And though the Bible are, is the eternal words of God, it is written in a historical context also. And by the way, taking things out of its historical context hurts a lot of things. In our culture today, there are a lot of people taking uh, the actions and writings of America's founding fathers out of context. They're putting what they did and said in the context of American culture in 2022, and, and they're greatly hurting these great men and hurting our understanding of what they did and intended when uh, God used them to found our country. And so to fully understand the Scripture, uh, we need to put what we read in its context. If you're able to stand tonight, if you would stand, please, in honor of God's Word. Um, the title of my thought tonight is Thanking God for the Faith and Love of Others. Thanking God for the Faith and Love of Others. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as you learned also of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Thank you, might be seated. Now, as we read the opening remarks, the introduction and opening remarks of this uh, uh, letter, there are a couple of names that pop up immediately uh, of whom we should take note as we begin this book. Not surprisingly, we read in verse 1 that Paul was the human author of this book. He was the pen in the hand of the Holy Spirit when it was written, and Timotheus, Timothy, was with him there in Rome. Uh, it's interesting, Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God. Uh, Paul was aware of his gifts and calling, and he fully gave himself to fulfilling them. He knew God had sent him. He knew God had gifted him. And though Paul was jailed in Rome for the faith, uh, Timothy was in Rome with them, but not in jail with him as far as we know. Uh, but think about this. Timothy's with Paul there in Rome. It, it was a huge deal and a big risk for Timothy to identify himself with the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul is jailed basically because the Jews had accused him of sedition against the Jewish government and the Jewish religion and the Roman Empire. And so for anybody to be seen with Paul or to be with him and acquaint themselves with him, they were taking a risk. But uh, Timothy, uh, as well as a couple of other believers, 
they wanted people to understand whose side they were on. Uh, thank God for faithful people who stick with faithful spiritual leaders when it isn't easy to do that. Uh, not only do Paul and Timothy appear uh, in this introductory part of the book, uh, a man named Epaphras appears in verse 7. He says, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister uh, of Christ. Now, Epaphras, he's here called a dear fellow servant to Paul. He's called a faithful minister uh, to the believers in Colossae. It's the same word as deacon. Uh, Paul wasn't afraid to, <laughs> if you read the letters of Paul, he's not afraid to call out people who carried the name Christian for false doctrine, for bad behavior, for all different sorts of things. Paul calls them out. Uh, and so when Paul speaks positively about Epaphras, I mean, he's not just being polite or being soft in the truth. Paul is, he's truly being complimentary. Uh, this man, Epaphras, he's a good, good man who's with Paul there. Now, it could mean uh, that he was a faithful deacon in the church there. Minister could be taken uh, in a different way, and him to have been the spiritual leader there. He was a faithful minister there. I actually think personally that he was a pastor. Uh, he seems to me to be that way because uh, the believers there had heard the gospel and learned the truth of the gospel of grace through him. In verses 6 and 7, it says, Which is coming to you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye learned also of Epaphras, our fellow servant. So they had learned the truth of the gospel from Epaphras. Now, unlike Timothy, by, by the way, um, it was Epaphras who brought Paul the report of what was going on in the church in Colossae in verse 8. He says, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now, Epaphras, though, unlike Timothy, he was jailed there in Rome with Paul. Keep your hand there, because we'll come back. Go up to the short book of Philemon. Remember, Paul wrote four letters from jail there uh, in Rome. Uh, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Colossians, and he wrote the little book of Philemon. Notice as the little book of Philemon closed, remember, written by Paul from the same place, the same time period in verse 22, he says, but withal, uh, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Did you notice that? Epaphras uh, is his fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Timothy isn't jailed, but Epaphras is jailed. He's jailed uh, for the faith just like Paul was. Uh, but also, in addition to Timothy sticking with Paul there and identifying with him, even though that was risky business, were four other men mentioned in verse 24, Marcus, uh, we call him Mark, and the gospel named after, his, uh, named after him, Aristarchus, uh, Demas, 
and, and Lucas, and we're familiar with Luke as well. Also wrote one of the Gospels in the book of Acts. Uh, but you notice Demas there at that time is a fellow laborer. And many of you know that later on in Paul's ministry, uh, the Bible says that Demas forsook him, having loved this present world. But at that time, uh, Demas was a faithful man uh, to Christ and to Paul. He was his fellow laborer. Uh, and so, and you can go back to our text, because really at this time, uh, Epaphras and Paul are jailed together for the faith, and one can easily see how when you're jailed there waiting for your hearing that you have plenty of time on your hands, and there in the jail cell, Epaphras, he shares with Paul his firsthand experience of what was going on in the church in Colossae. Uh, by the way... It is just like Jesus to have someone unexpected to you placed in your path to be there as an encouragement to you when you need it. I mean, Paul would have had no idea that when he was jailed in Rome for the faith that God would have a man named Epaphras there to share his faith and to be jailed for Christ also. And Epaphras would have had no idea that when he went to jail, Paul would be there. But, but God knew that each of them would need someone there to help them. Uh, Paul, unlike some people, uh, he had the good sense to value a first-hand report. Uh, and Paul, remember, we'll see in a moment, he had never been to Colossae, and so he writes this letter to the church there. He'd never met any of the people. He'd never met any, anyone there. And he writes a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to a group of people in a place he had never been. He valued what Epaphras had told him. But by the way, when, when someone has a good personal testimony, and Epaphras did, it's wise to value what they have to say. Uh, there are a lot of people who tell me things, and I think to myself, yeah, right. Uh, there are other people who tell me things, and I think to myself, hmm, wow, you know what, I, they, they usually have a pretty good handle on what's going on. Um, and, and certainly, Paul had enough sense to not value second and third hand reports. Uh, we would call those gossip. Uh, I, I would to God that um, we'd shut down gossip and stop valuing and passing on second and third hand reports unless we're passing it on to someone in authority who can actually do something about a situation. And I just say uh, for anybody here who is inclined to the sin of gossip, uh, please stop. So, who are you talking about? I don't really have anybody or anything in particular in mind. I just, since I got saved 38 years ago, have been around a church for 38 years, and I know it's an overlooked sin at times among the people of God, uh, and it shouldn't be. Uh, by the way, Paul, uh, he highly valued these men who were standing with him while he was in prison. Uh, he mentioned them by name. That, that's a big deal. Timothy and Demas and Aristarchus and Lucas and Marcus. He, he had mentioned them by name because it meant a lot to him to have somebody uh, stand with him when he was trying to stand for Christ. Now, by the way, I hope you 
notice whenever you're taking a stand for anything that you value somebody who stands with you. Uh, listen, uh, if your husband or your wife stand with you in some decision, you ought to value that. I've been in a lot of situations where husbands and wives didn't stand together. And you ought to value that when that happens. And I also think that those who are standing, you need to value everybody around you who's on your side. (laughs) I mean, people standing with us, it makes us stronger. Satan, one of his greatest tactics is isolation. One of God's greatest weapons against Satan's greatest tactic is us sticking together. We're the body of Christ here. Uh, We we, we need to stick together. It strengthens and encourages us. And, And when Satan isolates us, he convinces us that we're left alone somehow and we get the Elijah syndrome and think, that there's nobody else standing like I'm standing when in fact they're literally like in northern kingdom of Israel in Elijah's day, there are thousands of people in America who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And thank God for them. But Epaphras, I believe, was the pastor not just because Paul talked about him sharing the truth of the gospel with the people in Colossae, but also because of what Paul says about him in chapter 4, uh, verse 12. You can go there, it's just a page. It says in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, uh, always laboring fervent for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record, They have a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Uh, Whether he was the pastor there or not, uh, a godly deacon, he was somebody who had a real burden for the people of God, and especially in the church where he was from, in Colossae, but also in uh, these neighboring cities. Uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis were like, uh, tw- uh, a, th- a threefold city, a tri-city area, so, so to speak. And uh, this man, uh, Epaphras, he was a man who prayed. Did you see that phrase? Laboring fervently for you in prayers. Uh, you know, a lot of times we don't think about prayer as being labor, But you know, if you're a casual prayer, that might be so. But if you're going to be a serious prayer, you're going to be taking some time. And it's going to require some of your heart. And it's going to be a big personal investment as you walk with God and pray. And Epaphras was that kind of a praying man. I mean, wow. (laughs) What a great guy. Now, though Paul... Uh, and can you put that slide up if you would uh, please this is just a little map and you can see uh, where Rome is up in the top left corner and you can see Ephesus there and Colossae there and up in the top Philippi Uh, when we did the book of Philippians uh, I gave you the wrong mileage Rome to Philippi is about 800 miles and Rome 
to Colossae is about 1,300 miles. And so none, they're not close, but in the day of travel of those days, it was a long way. Now, go to Colossians chapter 2, if you would, please. Now, as I said earlier, Paul hadn't personally visited the city of Colossae. In uh, Colossians 2 verse 1, he said, I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And so Paul hadn't been there. He had a big burden for him. By the way, that's a pretty mature spiritual attitude to have a genuine burden for a group of people you hadn't met. Uh, But such was the nature and spirit and heart of the great apostle. Now, you can see Colossae and Ephesus there. They're about 75 or 100 miles away. And Colossae was a major city. At the time, it was fortressed because before Rome came, became the power it was in Paul's day, it was like a, a battleground, a border city with the east. And like other large cities of that day, it was filled with paganism and idolatry and uh, gross immorality. Uh, keep your hand there in Colossians, but go back in your Bible to Acts chapter 19, because it's there we find when most people believe the church in Colossae was founded. And Paul didn't found it. But though he didn't found it personally, it, it was his direct influence that was a part of starting the church. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul is in Ephesus, it says in verse 8, said he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, here it is, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul stayed in Ephesus, but he trained uh, men who went out into the surrounding area, and uh, Colossae is in Ephesus, just is in Asia, just below the region of Galatia, and we're familiar with that also from the New Testament. And uh, you may remember all those churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation there in Asia, uh, Laodicea, Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, uh, Pergamos, all, all those cities. And they, we believe, were evangelized when Paul was in Ephesus by men Paul had trained. And so, and you can go back to the book of Colossians, it's possible that uh, Paul met Epaphras uh, in Ephesus and personally trained him and sent them there. It's possible that Paul did not really meet Epaphras until he was jailed in Rome. And Epaphras was trained by somebody that Paul trained. We, re- we really don't know. We just know Paul wasn't the one who started the church or influenced the church personally. Uh, and as we're going to see, as time goes on and the Lord tarries, uh, the church of Colossae was influenced greatly by the first heresy uh, among the churches Uh, the era of Gnosticism. Uh, And there are several key statements in this book that we'll get to later where Paul says something to combat this theological era of Gnosticism. 
But as we begin the content of this book, after his introduction, Paul begins by telling these believers that he prayed for them. In verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now imagine you're in the city of Colossae and you get this letter and someone stands up and reads the letter uh, to the church and they, you hear Paul say, I'm praying for you. I mean, imagine what kind of a big deal that would have meant. Paul is praying. We've never even met him. He's praying for us. You see, all believers have the same access to God in prayer through Christ, but, but not all believers make the same kind of effort in prayer. Nor do all believers all pray with the same kind of faith when they pray. Listen, every believer, every true believer in Christ has Christ as their intercessor. You do not need some dead saint or the mother of Jesus to make your prayers effective. Listen, believers can and should speak directly to God our Father in Christ's name. Paul did that for them and it meant something to them. I don't know about you, but I want my walk with God to be such that it means something to someone when they learn that I pray for them. Listen, it always means something to me when when someone tells me they're praying for me. Uh, uh, People send me texts. People send me Facebook messengers. People tell me to my face. I occasionally get cards and people say, hey, I'm praying for you. You know, that means a lot to me. I I need your prayers. Listen, my task, just like yours, it's bigger than I am. I I can't do what needs to be done in my own strength or wisdom. Our spiritual adversary is stronger, more persistent, more wise, and more filled with wile and guile than I could ever be In my own strength and wisdom, I have a sure loss against our adversary. I need God to watch over and keep me. And you need the same thing. Which means you and I need to, as believers and followers of Jesus, become people who learn to pray in our own life and also learn to pray to such a degree that we pray for others like Epaphras and Paul did. Who do you pray for? Are there any names on your prayer list that are not in your gene pool? I hope so. Listen, it's not just me who's unable to balance my life, stand boldly for Christ, and preach and teach and witness with the power of the Spirit. I can't do that on my own. All of us are in the same boat. I don't care whether you're teaching four-year-olds in children's church or you're trying to witness to somebody at work or you're singing a, a song like Melissa did tonight or standing trying to preach or teach the Bible like I am. We cannot do the work of God in our own strength. We need the Lord. I need to be praying and you need to be praying. In fact, I would say, please pray for me Uh, when you get mad at me. Pray for me. When you feel like I've mishandled something, pray for me. Wouldn't that be a novel solution to 
any of the initial responses we have to the people around us in the Lord's church and in our family. To first take their name and the situation to God. One might only imagine the different people, places, and situations that would have been on the great apostles' prayer list. Paul was a man who prayed. Now, I've never, I would love to see it, but I've never seen anybody compile a list of the different people and places that Paul specifically says that he's praying for someplace in the New Testament. I just know this, there are a lot of them, and this is one of many. And we learn here, Paul's prayer list extended even to some believers he had never seen, but he'd personally heard about. (laughs) Now most of us could stand to improve our prayer life. In fact, what I would say as an observation of my Christian life over 38 years is, by the grace of God, my prayer life has continually improved But I could stand here tonight and say, you know what? I wish my prayer life was better. I don't know what your secret is if you can sit there and say, you know what? My prayer life is as good as it's ever going to be. It doesn't need any improvement. I, I would like to know what your secret is. Prayer to me is one of those things that you just feel like, wow, I could always stand to do more. By the way, I hope you have a personal prayer list. A list of people, places, and situations you regularly take to God in prayer. I've told you before, if you're a member of this church, I pray for you by name at least once a week. If you visited this church and I have your card, I pray for you by name once a week. There are people in this room, people who have visited here that, that, that I pray for multiple times uh, by, by, by name per week. Listen, we're not sitting where we're sitting tonight as a church because of my personal gifts. We're here because of the blessing of God. And God blesses prayers. (laughs) I hope you're a person who has learned to pray. It's sad to me that so many people, though they could pray daily and regularly because of a good deep relationship that's personal with the Lord Jesus Christ, like Melissa sang about tonight, that their prayer life really consists mainly of what they do when they're in trouble. We have access to our Creator through Christ Jesus, our intercessor. What a great opportunity. And we need to pray. But it isn't just that Paul begins by telling these believers that he had prayed for them. Secondly, he addresses the positive qualities of the believers there in Colossae. Things he thanked God for. Did you, excuse me a second. Things he thanked God for. Did you catch them when we read them before? The end of, begin at the end of verse 3. He says, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Did you catch the three positive qualities that Paul thanked God for being in them? Faith, love, and hope for their future. 
Things that could be described by Epaphras to Paul. Things that could be seen so they could be described. Now when someone comes and talks to me and I'm telling them about Bible Baptist Church, I just want to tell you, I don't begin by saying, well, you know what, I have problems with such and so, and this person barely shows up, and this person's so inconsistent. I don't know what you do. That's not what I do. Say, Brother Waller, you've got people like that. Of course. Listen, every healthy church has people like that. It's an unhealthy church that has the same 120 people there for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's an unhealthy church. What that means, you're not reaching or helping anybody. When I talk to somebody, I, I tell them about people here who are godly people, faithful people, committed people, giving people. By the way, we're blessed with a lot of people like that. Those of you who are here who are young, you may not appreciate it, but you know what? You have a lot of godly examples here you can look to. Faith, love, and hope for the future are not just internal things. They manifest themselves externally when they actually exist. You may recognize these same three qualities, faith, hope, and charity, because Paul mentioned them in different order as he closed out 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great chapter on the charity of God, when he said, now about faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. And remember, we learned the greatest of those is charity because it's the only eternal quality of those three. Faith is a wonderful quality and we cannot please God without faith, but our faith someday will be sight and we won't need faith anymore. Hope is the way we look at the future and someday that which we hope for will be our reality and there will be no more reason for hope. But the love we have for God and the love we have for one another, that is an eternal quality and it was one of the three great qualities that Paul admired and thanked God for in the Colossian believers and he had learned of that from their pastor Epaphras. By the way, what a wonderful thing for a Christian to be known for their faith, love, and hope for God's tomorrow. Those qualities can be seen in our life. Now let me ask you, can anyone see your faith in God? Can anyone see your love for the brethren and sister? Can anybody see your hope that you have in Christ for tomorrow? Listen, everything in our culture and everything inside all of us fights against us being hopeful people. Our fallen nature is so naturally inclined to criticism and our culture is so infused and, and permeated with criticism that it affects us in the church. And there's a lot of people, maybe even some people in this room, you've lost your hope for tomorrow. Listen, as long as Jesus lives, there is hope. And the opposite of these qualities is giving in to our doubts, being critical instead of patient with others, and living in despair because of today's darkness instead of focused on the light and rest that God has for us tomorrow. What are you known for? Would the people who know you well speak of your faith? 
Faith isn't something that, that just is inside us. Remember, the Bible defines faith as the evidence of things hoped for, the substance. Faith is evidence. Faith is substance. When faith is real, it shows up in some way in our life. Would anyone who knows you well, would they describe you as being known for your faith? Would anyone who knows you well describe you as someone who has a deep love for the people of God? I always, there's a little red flag goes up in my mind when I'm talking to somebody and they're angry and they begin their sentence with those people. I'm sorry, who do you mean by those people? You mean the Christian people here at Bible Baptist Church with us? Who are those people? Aren't you one of them? Do you love the people here? By the way, in verse 8 of chapter 1 is the secret to that. It says, who, who, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit, capital S. The love of God is produced in the people of God by the Spirit of God. Do you ever pray that God would help you love Him more and better? Do you ever pray that God would help you love His people more and better? Or is the circle of your love pretty much stop at the end of your gene pool with your family? Listen, I believe our love should first show up in our family. I believe there's something deeply wrong when someone loves the people of God and doesn't love their family. Something's wrong there. But there's something equally wrong when our circle of love stops with our family and doesn't extend to the people here. You say, Brother Wally, you don't know them. Yeah, I do. I don't know everyone as well as everyone. But I know people here well enough to know nobody's perfect. We all have areas of strengths and weaknesses. And it's amazing to me that we are continually critical of others in the area of their weakness when it's the area of our strength. And that would all be fixed if we just loved more. The Colossian believers were known for that as well as for being hopeful. And you've heard me say this many times, there are enough negative things here that you can find a reason to criticize and leave. There are enough positive things here for you to find a reason to stay and be happy. In fact, what you'll find if you ever are honest with yourself about what's going on in your own heart and mind, one of the things you'll recognize is that you can either dwell on the negatives of someone in situations or you can dwell on the positives and that'll have everything to do with how you respond. And I just ask again, uh, can anyone see your faith in God, your love for God and His people? Can I see how hopeful you are in God's tomorrow? And we close with this idea, lastly, the gospel always brings forth fruit when it is set forth in truth. Did you catch that? The end of verse 5? He says, Whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you. Notice the gospel of truth brought forth fruit in them, and the gospel of truth brought forth fruit in the world. You see, wherever Paul and the early Christians took the gospel throughout the world, it brought forth fruit. 
I, I remind you that the gospel brought forth fruit and they took it to a world that was filled with religion. When they were in Jerusalem, Judea, and the surrounding area, it was filled with the religion of Judaism. When they took the gospel to uh, all the area of Asia and uh, what is Europe today and uh, North Africa and those kinds of places, uh, it was filled with the Greek and Roman gods and that pantheon of deities. And there was all sorts of pagan deities of all kinds. And the gospel brought fruit among the religious. I refuse to believe that Anybody in America is so religious that the gospel can't be effective with them. The other part of the world in which they took the gospel was filled with people with no religion of any sort. And they were just content in their pride and immorality and secularism. And the gospel brought forth fruit amongst them as well. I just... Earlier this week, uh, on my morning prayer walk, uh, sometimes, I don't know why the Lord, I feel to move my heart, stick a track in my pocket, and that morning, uh, I felt the Lord moving me to do that, I stuck a track in my pocket, and there was a girl coming, walking the other way, walking to work. I stopped to say, hey, good morning, how are you? I said, I'm on my prayer walk, uh, I'm the pastor at Bible Baptist Church, can I give you a personal invitation to come out? She said, I'm not religious. I said, that's all right. L listen, the gospel brings forth fruit. The seed is always good. The seed has not gotten bad because America has gotten corrupt, though America is not as corrupt as Corinth. The seed has always been good, though some in America are religious, but not as religious as the Jews when they planted the church in Jerusalem. Listen, the problem is not the ineffectiveness of the gospel. It always brings forth fruit. It has never saved everyone because some people have never been interested. In fact, as far as I know, everyone has only listened to the message one time. And that's when Jonah took the message to Nineveh. As far as I know, in every other case, case there were some who were interested and some who were not. And it's not our job to convert everyone. It's our job to carry the gospel. And that gospel will bring forth fruit if you and I are faithful to carry it. Let me ask you, do you have any faith in the effect of a effectiveness of our message. <laughs> it's kind of funny to me one time, we had a guy from a super contemporary church who visited us, and uh, he said, well, we, we changed all, all our methods b because uh, you can't reach young people. And I just said, look at all the young people here. He didn't even get that. Listen, it's truth that reaches people. Do you believe our message is just for the down and out? Do you believe our message uh, is only for the children of those who are saved? Do you, do you believe our message still reaches some who are up and in, like a Nicodemus, like a Joseph of Arimathea, a lawyer like Apollos? Well, why is it that we come here and we believe strongly in what we're doing? We believe this message. Why is it that we think no one else is interested? There will always be some interested people when you and I kindly, graciously, in the power of the Spirit of God, take the Gospel to them. It always brings forth fruit. 
I hope you believe. There's good reason to. Our God is just fine. Jesus is alive and well. America hasn't gone too far. Churches have not become so compromised that there's no hope. There is hope in Christ. You bow your head and close your eyes.